Mm. Powerful. He is risen. This is Easter Sunday, the pinnacle, climax point of the Christian calendar where we celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't just die for our sin, but he rose again. So this is where we are today. He is risen. I want to share a message with you entitled Climate Change. This is the ultimate manifestation of his resurrection. He's come to change the climate, not the literal physical climate, but the atmosphere has been changed as Christ has conquered the power of sin and death. So today I want to share a couple of scriptures with you from Romans chapter 8, which are just, this whole chapter actually is just a beautiful articulation of what the resurrection of Christ means to us. Rather than reading the whole chapter, I'm just going to read a few select verses and wrap up as well with uh, some more scriptures from Romans 8. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome and said these words, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let's just take a moment and focus our thoughts in prayer. Father God, as we look into these words this morning, these eloquent, poetic words written by Paul, hope stirs in us. As we recognize that Jesus didn't come just for one moment in history to perform a heroic act. But the atmosphere is being changed. Thank you for that change that starts in us and spreads to our entire world. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. As we break down the scripture today, I want to follow this simple outline, talk about the prison planet, the protagonist, the procedure, and then we'll close with the promise right after the worship team comes back. First of all, the prison planet. Our planet is currently being held hostage The scripture said, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay 
and brought into freedom. Currently, the whole globe wrestles with these kind of symptoms, with war and conflict, with terrorism, with violence and crime, starvation, the current refugee crisis, disease, poverty, lack, global warming. At the root of all these problems, again, those are definitely serious symptoms, serious issues here on our planet, but at the root of all of that, there are underlying causes, and a lot of them are things that we can relate to personally. Intolerance, discrimination, mean-spiritedness, anger, unforgiveness, pride, and the mother of all symptoms that bothers our planet, selfishness. The wonderful thing is, although our planet is imprisoned, again, the scripture at the top of the page, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into a place of freedom. You'll see on the next slide that there's actually a recurring theme in these verses that we just read. Those eight verses listed on the screen there, the word creation pops up four times. It's a major theme in this chapter. It's not just the Genesis 3 story that we have probably heard the story of Adam and Eve and how the snake comes to tempt them and leads them into disobedience. God had only furnished them with one rule in the Garden of Eden and they broke it. But Genesis 1 talks about a perfect planet that God created. He said it's good. He said of mankind when he created them, it's very good. But there was this creation frustration going on. Frustration. See, that's something we can all relate to, frustration. I don't know about you, but hardly a day goes by that I don't get frustrated by something. My earliest memory of frustration, probably also the most embarrassing moment in my life. I was five years old. And my favorite thing to do at recess was to go on the slide. A lot of you are swingers. <clears throat> <laughs> I myself am a slider. And uh, I used to love to do this every recess, love to get out of up, up the ladder, down the slide. Problem was, there were so many people going for the slide, so many of these kneecap biters, these little people that would get out in front of me, and, and they'd get down the slide first. And, you know, there'd be 30, 40 people hanging around the slide area. It was just, it was a tough environment. <laughs> Rugged street. It was horrific. So one day I had a plan. I got out ahead of the crowd. Even when we were in circle time and everybody's sitting there with their slippers, I had the wisdom to push down the backs of my slippers so I could just slip in and out just like that. And this one particular day I had my slippers ready, had my shoes ready, the laces were as loose as could be, the tongues sticking out. I slipped out of those slippers, I was the first in line, had my shoes on, tied up somewhat dangerously. And I raced out onto the playground, and I could I was, I was going to be the first up the slide, down the slide. I probably could have gone three or four times before everyone else got there. Except there was this little grade one girl. 
who had the same plan. As I stepped onto the playground, she was several steps ahead of me, coming from a different direction, like a bat out of heck. <laughs> she beat me to the ladder only by a couple seconds. And I was thinking, and we still got time to get up the ladder, down the slide, five or six times. There's no one else is even on the pavement yet. We, we got this. But like that, those little prissy six-year-old girls can be like, she, she took her time going up the ladder. And then when she got to the top, she decided it was time to play lookout. You know, looking to the right, looking to the left. She was just taking her time, looking around. Now other kids are coming onto the playground. I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go. I'm stuck behind her on the ladder. She's there on the platform, gripping both sides. I got nowhere to go. If I'd been one step down on the ladder, I would have been looking between her shoulder blades. If I'd been two steps down on the ladder, I'd be looking at her lower back. But I was three steps down. Full view of the moon. <laughs> and I don't know what possessed me at that moment. Satan, maybe. <laughs> I was so frustrated, I bared my fangs. <laughs> and I did it. I bit her. I bit her. I latched on like a pit bull. <laughs> Obviously not a Christian girl. She did not turn the other cheek. She screamed, her arms went up in the air. I saw a hole, I had a moment, I dove past her, head first down the slide. Yes. And then like any other brave five-year-old boy would do, I ran and hid behind the school for the rest of recess. Just before the bell rang, I, I emerged from my hiding place and my teacher had this grade one girl in her clutches and brought her right over to me, put her over her knee, lifted up her shirt, pulled down her pants, and said, look what you did to her. And I saw my dental impression like right there on her right cheek. It was beautiful. <laughs> beautiful thing. But that, that's what frustration will do. Sometimes we just have to take matters into our own hands, don't we? And as a five-year-old boy, I learned the hard way. That's really not the way to go. Our whole planet is frustrated. Again, we get folks doing what they can to take matters into their own hands, to, to medicate, to soothe, to, to do whatever we can to alleviate the frustration. But God had a different plan. He sent the protagonist. Even though we are the prison planet, he sent, you see my second point here on the slides, the protagonist. Now, usually the hero comes into the story, gets rid of the bad guys, but this was a very different approach. Romans 8 says, God did not spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. He was beaten. You see him there with his back shredded. The Romans believed that 40 lashes would kill a man, so they administered 39 to our Lord, to other convicts and criminals, to take them as close as they could to the point of death. Jesus, our hero, our protagonist, 
He hung on the cross. Imagine his shredded back against that rough-hewn lumber, slivers gouging into every laceration. They hung a sign over his head that said, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked him. They spit in his face. They pummeled him with their fists. They put this crown of thorns on him. They made him bleed. They made him suffer. And he hung there and he took my punishment. He took our punishment on himself. Isaiah the prophet said that he was so bruised and beaten and mutilated. He was marred beyond recognition. He didn't even look human when they were done with him. Death on a cross is not death because of the exposure, because of the wounding, because of the loss of blood. It's actually death by asphyxiation. The muscles across his chest would be incredibly tight as his hands were stretched out. He would sag. And then against the pain, he would force himself back up. The nails in his feet, the, the nails in his hands, he would push back up in great agony just to get his next breath. This would go on for hours until the crucified ones would finally give up fighting for their next breath, sliding up the slivers of the cross. Jesus, the ultimate protagonist, the ultimate hero, did not overcome the frustration of the planet, the Roman oppression, by defeating the Romans. Instead, he died for the transformation that begins right in here. You see, as we embrace him, as we embrace his character and everything that who he was, something happens on the inside. Again, the, the circumstances on the outside may not change at all, but we, when we invite Jesus into our lives, the frustration starts to dissipate because his life, his strength, his courage start to transform us from the inside out. He died so that we could have a fresh beginning, a fresh start. This heroic death was not in vain. He offers us the chance to start this heroic transformation from within by inviting him to come and take over our hearts, our minds. The ultimate protagonist. Thirdly, I want you to see the procedure. The procedure. The patient payback. It said in verse 23 that we wait for redemption. We wait to be redeemed. The coupon thing is where we currently in the English language use the word redeemed. It says it twice on this particular coupon. Speaking of redemption, it's, it's this little piece of paper. This little coupon. $2 off, free side, buy one, get one free. You can buy back, you can trade in, you can transform, you can vindicate. Everything changes with one little piece of paper. The cash value on this particular coupon is one one hundredth of a cent. Not of a dollar, of a cent. You need a hundred of these to get a penny. And you'd be hard pressed to find one in Canada. 
It's worth nothing. But when you lay it down in your cash transaction, all of a sudden you get free stuff. And that free burger, the free side of fries, whatever your coupon is for, when you lay down this worthless piece of paper, all of a sudden those French fries are mine. I redeem them. I buy them back with something that's actually useless. Redeemed. Ransomed. Bought back. That was the procedure. That was the method that Jesus used. He, he's bought us back. We were owned by death and sin. We were living this life of perpetual frustration and then Jesus stepped in. That was his procedure, is to patiently buy us back. His death 2,000 years ago made this possible. He's transforming the entire planet. He's changing the climate. He's changing the atmosphere. I just want to show you this video. It's from the story of Les Miserables. The story of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean had been imprisoned for 19 years because he had stolen bread to feed his starving family. 19 years of hard labor. When he's finally completed his prison sentence, upon his release, the only person that'll take him in for the night is the local small town bishop. But in spite of his kindness that he offers to Jean Valjean, Jean turns on the bishop. It's a powerful clip. Watch it on the screen. served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. It's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome 20 minutes, to read buddy. with us 20 as minutes. my guest. This is clockwork. Are you coming? You've my yeah. passport. Do you want to come back up? Please? I know who you are. You're, you're going to let me inside your house. Crime did you commit? Maybe I killed some. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years and chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> 19 years, and now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Men can be unjust. Men, not God. 
right, whoever you are. Thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. I just want to close this morning with my fourth and final point, just a scripture reflects the promise. It says in Romans 8, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. There's that key word from Romans 8 again, creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That scripture reflects the promise that death has been defeated by love. What we just sang. Wow. I'm so thankful for Jesus overcoming death. He faced it. He, again, he looked it square in the face. No one took his life. He, he willingly laid it down so that we could have life, so that we and all of creation could be redeemed, could be bought back, could be restored to life again. His resurrection proves not only could he handle death, he could overcome death. That powerful love, that surrender, that sense of giving it all the way that Jesus gave it all for the Father. Not just reflected in the pain of the cross, but in the triumph, the success of the resurrection. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us today. I want to encourage you that the life and the love and the hope and the joy that he attained by dying for us is ours to transform us from the inside out. Not just transform us, but to transform the whole planet, all of creation that has been groaning, waiting for a moment in history. It happened 2,000 years ago. And today, by simply acknowledging, not just that that was a historical event, but that Jesus is the king over death. He's the Lord above every other Lord. He's the boss of all bosses. And by acknowledging him as such, something starts on the inside. A transforming love. A power that can overcome even death. A love that is solving the issue of the creation frustration turning that into a creation transformation. You can know that love in your heart today by simply acknowledging and accepting Jesus' gift, the gift of his death and resurrection as being applied to us. What a beautiful transformation. What a beautiful gift. Before we leave this place today, I'd like to give you a chance the way that Jean Valjean was given a second chance. Hmm. The constable said, he claims that you gave him the silver. The bishop says, of course I gave it to him. Jean Valjean says, why are you doing this? And the priest says, don't forget, don't you ever forget. You promised to become a new man. Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil with this silver. I bought your soul. I transformed you. I ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Today, that is my prayer for you, that you would be ransomed, that you would be transformed. And maybe you're here and you've never taken that opportunity before to give your life to God and allow him.
his, his love to transform you from the inside out. It's a miracle that's still happening. It started happening 2,000 years ago, and it's still happening today. If you'd like to invite Jesus into your life, maybe you've never done it before, maybe it's been a long time since you've acknowledged God's presence in leading your life. But if you'd like to give him your life today for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'd just like to remember you in my closing prayer. If that's you, could I see your hand as high as you can get it? And I'd just like to pray for you in a moment. Anybody around this room, anybody at all, I'd be delighted to pray for you. We'll just wait a minute while you think about it. People around you are praying. Believing that the same transformation. Yeah, thank you right there. Bless you. Is anybody else that will join this gentleman to say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to give my life to God. Yeah, thanks, bro. You can put your hands down. Anybody else like to join these two gentlemen and say, yeah, I want to give my life to God. I want to be transformed from the inside out. Anybody else want to join these two? This is the most important Sunday of the year. Of course, we're going to take some time and let you consider what's going to be the most important transforming moment in your life. We'll, we'll wait another minute. No pressure. Some of you are feeling like a tugging at your heart. You might not understand all of it, but deep down inside, you know it's the right thing to do to surrender your life to God. Would any of you like to join these two gentlemen and say today, yeah, I want to make Jesus first in my life. Anyone else? Thanks, bro. You're worth waiting for. Anybody else want to join these three guys? Yeah, at the back. I see your hand. Thanks so much. Anybody else want to join these three guys and this one lady? I'll just give you 10 more seconds to think about this. Yeah, thanks, bud. Appreciate your honesty. Word. Last call. Anyone else? I'm going to ask everybody in the room to join me in this simple repeat after me prayer. I'll say a line and you just kind of echo it back. And even if you didn't raise your hand, but you know in your heart you want to give your life to God fresh, on this Easter Sunday. I invite you to pray along with me and the people on your right and left as we pray, pray this simple prayer. Would you repeat this after me? Dear God, come on, say it like you mean it. Dear God, I give you my life today. Thank you for a fresh start. Thank you for transforming me from the inside out. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you that you are now in charge of my life. I give you all that I have. My heart is yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, that's a good Easter Sunday right there. 
I'm going to ask these five folks. Pastor Drew is at the back here. Wave at us, Pastor Drew. Pastor Drew is just going to lead us, at the, uh, those that responded, and our prayer team. I'm going to ask all five of you that responded and any others that want to respond to give your life to God, just to go across the hall for a minute for a quick prayer. Drew's going to talk to you for a moment. We'd like to give you some literature, pray with you before you go. It's not a pressure thing. It's just an opportunity to talk and pray and explain a little more. Would you give it up for these five folks as they go and they meet Drew back? Bless you guys. Wow, that's a good day right there. Thank you for bringing friends and family. I wish this to be the most splendid Easter that you've ever had as you celebrate what Christ has done in your life from the inside out. I'm glad that you are here today. I'm glad that you're part of the SunWest family. I declare over you today the blessing of our God, the life-giving power that raised Jesus from the dead to dwell inside of you and to bust out all over your workplace, your neighborhood, your school, your friends and family all week long. May you know his joy, his peace, his hope, and his transforming power from the inside out. I declare you blessed with the love of the Father, the sweet fellowship of the Son, and the embrace of the Holy Spirit, now, all week long, and always. Happy Easter. Word to your mom. Bless you.